When Robert Samuel lost his job with AT&T, he began to scramble for any means of making money. And he lived in New York City, and he began to uh, make himself available to wait in line for people that were needing to, to buy um, new technology that had come out or to, to get in line for a, a movie premiere. And he started to, to, to sell himself for uh, $25 for the first hour and then $10 every half hour after that. And it began to, to the business began to, to grow. He started to, to sell uh, or hire some friends to work for him started a business called Sold. The same old line dudes was the name of the company. Whenever I first heard about the concept, I, I thought, oh, that, that's just a business for the extremely wealthy. Then I read where Samuel gave an interview to Business Insider, and he said that the majority of his customers are not wealthy. That most of the people that use his services, they are people that, that they can't afford to go to, to see a play and to take off work early in order to get in line to get a ticket. And so it was just the common people that was using the service. As time goes by, I start to find more interest in services like that. As I find that, that more and more I am crunched for time. Twice in the last week I've had conversations with, uh, I had a conversation with two different people and they asked about a hobby that I used to enjoy and it was two different hobbies. And I no longer do either one of those at this point in my life. And whenever they asked why, the only answer that I could give them was that I just don't have the time anymore. I still enjoy the activity, but I don't have the time to enjoy the activity anymore. I find myself more and more being rushed for time whenever I come to a stoplight. I'm counting the cars that are in each lane. Not only am I counting the cars, I'm examining the, the make and model of those cars and trying to see uh, the age of the person that is driving the car to, to, to determine which line is going to get to move faster. In grocery stores, I don't just count the people in the line, I'm counting the items in their basket, especially if I'm in the express line. If it's a store that I frequent, then I know that there are certain employees, there are certain uh, clerks that they are talkers you know the people that i'm talking about they want to engage in a conversation with you and as they're talking with you they are not scanning those items as quickly as what you would like them to be and so those lines move slowly and it's all because i feel like i have no time and I know that it's not just me because I get to stand up here every single week and watch some of you as you kind of start to look at your watch as the sermon goes on and on because we are so time conscious in our world that we 
pack our schedules as tightly as we can get them to be. And our, uh, our lack of time has become a barrier to doing what Jesus has said is most important. This is your first time here, or maybe you've missed the last couple of weeks. We are in a study called How to Neighbor. As we are looking at what Jesus said is of most importance, He provides two anchor points that we are to love God and to love our neighbor. And in our churches, we historically have done a pretty good job of talking about that we need to love God. I don't know that we have done as good a job as, at talking about love of neighbor. But this is what Jesus said was most important. And we have discovered that as Jesus says to love your neighbor, it means our literal neighbors. This is the story that we are looking at in Luke chapter 10. Verse 30, Jesus says that a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. For Jesus, neighbor is an active verb. That in order to love your neighbor, it means more than the absence of of hatred. And that's how I have kind of tended to view love of neighbor. Well, I haven't wished any ill will on them. And so I've been a pretty good neighbor. But did you notice in this story that the one that Jesus says is a neighbor isn't the one that, that just avoided causing harm. But the one who was a neighbor was the one who actively sought to do good. It was the Samaritan that was a good neighbor. And our lack of time becomes an obstacle. As I imagine why the priest and the Levite doesn't stop, I start to wonder, why is it that they are traveling on this road that, that connects Jerusalem and Jericho? Has the priest overslept and he is now late for work in Jerusalem at the temple? Or maybe it's the end of a long day for 
them and they are on their way home. They, they have a wife that is at home and she's been stuck at home with the kids all day long and he knows how she gets whenever he is late for work. Uh, that's pure conjecture on my part. But what is clear is that loving their neighbor is not their priority. That they have other agenda items that are more important for them. Time management gurus tell us that our priorities determine our capacity. Perhaps you have heard the illustration with the rocks. Different size of rocks representing all of the tasks that you have to do in any given day or week. And you have this jar that, that is your capacity. And if you start with the smallest rocks and then put everything else in, it fills up very quickly. But if you start with the biggest, it looks like it is full. But then you can pour in the smaller rocks and they begin to fill in all of the cracks that are all around them. And you can fit everything in and even have room for more. The Bible doesn't use the term priorities. The word that the Bible uses is seek. It talks about the things that you seek after and the most well-known is from Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 6. As Jesus has been talking about all of the, the, the worries and stresses of life. He says in verse 32 that the pagans, those who do not follow after God, that they run after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, Jesus doesn't deny that you have need of a lot of things, but what He encourages is that you prioritize your energies. You prioritize those things that you are after because we tend to think that through our busyness, we are pleasing God. When is the last time that somebody has asked you how you are doing and you actually felt comfortable saying that, well, things are pretty slow? That's not a value in our culture. What we value is busyness. And so we talk about how busy life is and that we just don't have time. And we applaud somebody that is living that kind of life. I think that Barbara Brown Taylor was right whenever she said that it seems to me that at least some of us have made an idol out of exhaustion. The only time we know we have done enough is when we are running on empty. And when the, the ones we love the most are the ones we see the least. When we lie down to sleep at night, we offer our full appointment calendars to God in lieu of prayer, believing that God 
who we think is at least as busy as we are, will surely understand. But this isn't the way that you see God living. This isn't the way that you see Jesus modeling. Jesus is the one that told his disciples, that told the world, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says that, that if you follow me, that life is going to get easier. But that's not the way it feels. And I know that for many of us, whenever I talk about getting to know our literal neighbors, that it's, it, it adds a, an amount of stress to us because we don't have time. And it feels like we're just adding another item to our to-do list. Frederick Collins said that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those that walk into the room and say, here I am. And then there are those that walk into the room and say, there you are. Whenever you read about the life of Jesus, you consistently see Jesus walking into the room and saying, there you are. Do you remember the story when, when Jesus was, was told uh, about somebody who is on their deathbed and he gets up and they're, they're on a, a mission to go and save the life of this one and there's a crowd all around him and Jesus just stops in the middle of the journey and he says who touched me and the disciples are sitting there wondering Jesus why are you even talking about this there are people all around you and aren't we busy going somewhere aren't we in a hurry but Jesus continues to look around until a woman stands up says I I touched you Jesus looks at the woman says you can go in peace because your faith has healed you we fail to realize what Jesus lived and taught that God has created not only you but he has created time and he will make sure that there is enough time to accomplish everything that he has called you to do listen to the words of paul he says that god decided exactly when and where that you will live see it's no accident that you live in the neighborhood that you live in we think that we bought the house because of the proximity to a school or because of location to our work or to family or to, to some other reason. It, it had all the amenities that we were looking for in an apartment or in a house. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then God has bigger plans in store for why you live in the place that you live. 
Because God has given you a gift of time. God has given you a gift of resources of your house and it's not just for you. But that's how we treat it. I want you to imagine with me that I receive a package that shows up on my doorstep and I go out to get it and it is clear from the address label that it, it's intended to go to my neighbor. I bring the package inside that has, has taken a beating through the, the mailing process and as I walk through the door I accidentally uh, drop it and the contents spill out onto the floor. Some very expensive jewelry. The packing slip reveals that it's worth several thousand dollars. As I begin to, to pick up all of the pieces of jewelry, I, I'm, I'm noticing that it is my wife's favorite color. And it's the, the, the jewelry that she's been begging me to get for her for years, and I've never had the money to do so. And as I'm putting it back up, I start to, to run the scenario through my mind that they will never know that it showed up at my house. That I could just keep all of this. I could, I could throw away the box. I can give all the jewelry to my wife. And I can receive the credit for something that I didn't purchase. That I can enjoy the benefits all for myself. You probably wouldn't think too highly of me if I did something like that. What if I told you that that's exactly what we are doing when we refuse to love our neighbors. That God has given you a gift and you are using it for yourself alone. One of the most underutilized resources in the kingdom of God is our own houses. We have a, a beautiful facility here at the colonies and we, we strive to make sure that we are, are using it, not just on Sundays, but that we utilize it throughout the week. But the amount of space that we have available here on this campus pales in comparison to all of the square footage that we have in our homes combined. The neighboring Samaritan uses what he has to include his neighbor. In verse 34, the Samaritan takes some of the, the oil and wine and he, he uses that for this man who has been beaten by robbers. And then he uses his own donkey and places the man on his donkey and takes him on his journey. It has become quite popular for churches to promote that you can come as you are to our churches. 
That you don't have to, to, to gussy yourself up. You don't have to get your life in order. But you can come to Christ just as you are. And I think that it's just as important that we start to talk about not coming to, to God as you are, but hosting. Being a host just as you are. The Samaritan didn't need any training. He didn't need any special resources that wasn't available. He just took what God had already given to him and decided that he was going to use that not to exclude his neighbor, not to build up fences for his own safety, but to use them in such a way that included his neighbor. Neighboring is not so much about adding activities to your to-do list as much as it is including people in your life as it already is. I've loved listening as as some of you begin to to take steps in in getting to know your neighbor. You're taking the the magnet, the refrigerator magnet, and you're starting to to fill in those names. And some of you told me last week that that you already had, uh, you already could fill in all those names, and that's great. You can still use this as a a tool to to pray for your neighbors. And some of you are are, are going beyond that and and have previously. Talked with uh, Dave and and Terry White. They lived in Colorado for, uh, I believe it was about 17 years. And they started a, a practice about about two or three weeks before Christmas, that they would host a, a Christmas breakfast. It was just a come and go. They invited all of their neighbors. And, and they started to, to get to know all of their neighbors by name and, and to know uh, what was going on in their lives. And that became such a, a vital practice to that community that even after they moved away, that the people that bought that house then began to carry the responsibility to keep that practice going. Do you see how just a small act continued to to impact that neighborhood long after they moved away, that they are experiencing a, a fellowship, a community, a love, all because one couple decided that they were going to take the words of Jesus literally. And every single week, all of us eat and so don't just try and add something else to your to-do list but include people in what you are already doing and so invite someone to join you for a meal you watch sports instead of watching it by yourself invite somebody to join you there are all kinds of ways that you can take the life that you're already living and include people in that life Well, it's hard to talk about neighboring and not talk about Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. That show 
was created by Fred Rogers, a ordained Methodist pastor who was so impacted by Scripture and, and largely created the show out of this story of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Every episode would begin with this montage of kind of uh, pictures going through this fictional neighborhood and a traffic light that was flashing yellow and it was always flashing yellow as a reminder to parents and to children to slow down long enough to be a neighbor. Fred Rogers believed so strongly in the pace of life that it was said that in one of his shows he uh, invited a marine biologist to come in and uh, rig up a microphone in a fish tank so that he could record the sound of the fish that were eating. Whenever they were taping it, uh, apparently the fish were not hungry. And it, it created a several seconds of dead silence as they didn't immediately jump up and start to eat the food. And all of the crew anticipated that, that Rogers would want to refilm that at a later time, but he refused to do so, believing that it would teach children the value of patience. What's ironic about that to me is that I learned of that story while watching a YouTube video at two times speed because it allowed me to get a little more done in the day but the question is did I use what I had to do what Jesus said was most important because Satan loves to use our busyness to create a zeal in us for the petty. And we become apathetic to our neighbors. But Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. I invite you to look at your time. To slow down to create space, to take notice of the people that are all around you and to love them because Jesus has loved you. We're going to sing a song of invitation now and if you'd like to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you would like the prayers of, of the shepherds privately or maybe of the congregation as a whole. Some of our shepherds will be at the back of our worship center. I'll be at the front. If there's some way that we can assist you this morning, we invite you to come as Bryce leads us.